The Start On Demand. On demand. The CFL is set to kick off in August. How's it going to work? And are we going to need an immunity passport? We spoke to a trucker named Chris who got his vaccine in North Dakota. Needless to say, he is a very happy camper today. We had an emotional discussion with True North Senior Advisor of Community Development, Kevin Sheaf, over the expansion of the Wasack Night with the Winnipeg Jets. And on this Earth Day, we had lots of fun talking about our old piles of electronics. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, April 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we got lots to talk about as it pertains to the vaccine, who is now eligible, who is not. And we'll get to some of that in a moment and in greater detail in our next segment. But got to start with uh, some great news yesterday, GMAC, from the CFL. August 5th is now the targeted start date for the Canadian Football League. They will do a modified schedule. If you're interested in the CFL at all, you probably know this already. 14-game schedule culminating with the Grey Cup, at least the way it's planned right now, December 12th in Hamilton. And, and of course, a lot of people saying, December 12th in Hamilton, oh, that's yeah. going to be so cold. You know what? November twenty seventh or something, isn't that like it's two weeks after the normal date? Is it not? Yeah, it's 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 just a couple of weeks later, maybe three at the most, Loren. And let's face it, uh, it's so hit and miss right across Canada right now with the way the weather is. It could just as easily be eleven degrees in Hamilton on the twelfth of December as it could be minus thirty in Winnipeg on the twelfth of December. It doesn't really matter. After mid-November, all bets are off. I mean, look at what happened on Thanksgiving weekend in 2019. We damn near needed to cancel a football game in Winnipeg the first Sunday, the first Saturday, rather, of October. Maybe they meant Hamilton, Bermuda. And then, you know, it's a tropical (laughs) Grey Cup, like a Grey Cup in the tropics. Yeah, I was fascinated by this yesterday because there, and we really want to talk about it today because it, it was neat to me to see the different reactions from folks a you know when you start planning things you think okay there's a future here like we might be able to do things or go out and then you have that other part like the cynic side that's like well we're we're only 25 percent vaccinated and how's this gonna work and who's gonna who's gonna be in the stands and how are they gonna space us apart and it's like people baby steps right like i know we're all frustrated and so it's i don't know brett if you saw the same kind of reaction on social media either people saying yes like a date that that feels good even if that date gets moved again that date feels good and others who were saying well the date's going to get moved because who knows where we'll be and so the, our psyche the up and down of our psyche is uh, you can see it live and well I think, yeah, and it, it could very well be moved, but at the very least, we now have a date. Yeah. Whereas last year, it was complete uncertainty, and eventually, they just pulled the pin. Uh, by the way, I'm just looking, last year, Saturday, December 12th in Hamilton, it was 10 degrees. There you go. See? <laughs> right? It is tropical. So you just never know. <laughs> the, that tropical. southern triangle, that southern Ontario triangle is like the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> See, what I'm, this is where I'm going. Shook. 
exactly. could be golden, right? So yeah, it doesn't really matter uh, what the date is. And I think a lot of people are buoyed by this news. Some people don't care. We understand that completely. And uh, if you're in that camp, apologies as we discuss this a few minutes further. But also just this idea of looking around the world. Wade Miller touches on this and touched on it in his conversation with Jeff Courier. We'll play a little bit of that discussion for you later on this morning. Just, you know, this whole idea, look around what's going on in the rest of the world, in the United States in particular. Uh, they are, uh, I don't know, uh, are they even 50% of the population with their first shot yet? And already you're seeing in California where they have been, had some of the strictest lockdowns of this entire pandemic. They're back to 30, 33% uh, capacity in some stadiums. You're starting mm -hmm. to see hockey fans back in arenas. So uh, yeah, I know we're behind the States with regard to vaccination, but you can look South. You don't have to look too far, uh, no further yeah. than your uh, sports report on your TV to see that fans are coming back to, to sporting venues around the world. Well, it's actually just over 40% of the total population in the States, as a couple days ago I was reading, and 50% of adults. So depending on how you look at it, they're not they're not half isn't even where they're at, right? So uh, in terms of just their total population. So if you look at those numbers, it's all, it's all attainable. It's, but again, it's how you look at the numbers. Someone looks at it and says that looks positive, and someone might look at that and say that still feels negative. So we'll have much more in our next segment. And as well, at 7.07, we're going to speak, Loren, to one group who I think was surprised to learn that they were not given vaccine priority. Yeah, we've got that expanded list of people who work in frontline jobs and, and people who work in those hot spots that the province is going to announce tomorrow. Um, that list includes everyone from you know daycare workers, teachers, people who work in food processing facilities. What who isn't on it is bus drivers. And I think that surprised many. You know, those are small spaces. They work with potentially hundreds of different people every single day, and they're not being prioritized for vaccination. So we'll talk to the head of the local union for Winnipeg to hear what his members are saying. Yeah, I was uh, surprised by that too, uh, especially when they included things like, well, well, we'll break down the full list in our next segment. But yeah, the, it seems to me that in terms of interactions with the public, Transit drivers would be among the people who see the most people throughout the days. People who live in communities at higher risk or work specific frontline jobs will now be eligible for a vaccine starting on Friday. So where those communities considered at higher risk, those hot spots are, is not known. That list hasn't been released because those details will come tomorrow. But as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, we do now have the list of jobs that will be given priority. The people who live there will, of course, be eligible. But also uh, some people who work in specific jobs in those communities, even if they live elsewhere, will also be eligible. It includes those who work in schools, daycares, food processing plants, grocery stores and gas stations, restaurants and food banks. Jobs specifically chosen to help slow down the third wave. For some of the professions, there was very clear data showing that they have experienced higher rates of uh, transmission as well as uh, of severe health outcomes. Um, and some are more um, uh, related to the goal of preventing further transmission in these settings. 
and you could be asked to provide proof of eligibility, either through identification or a letter from your employer. Certainly we're going to be expecting that uh, Manitobans uh, do affirm that they um, are part of the workforce that they say they are, and, and that's part of the booking. Hotspots will be determined mainly by where cases peaked in Wave 2. A new study done by the Canadian Blood Services found between June 2020 and January 2021, the risk of contracting SARS-CoV-2 in an affluent neighbourhood increased by 77%. But in lower income and marginalised communities, that risk increased by 500%. Factors that will play a role when nailing down eligible zones. These decisions are being based on an analysis of COVID-19 rates, population density, percentages of racialized populations, income, and suitable housing in those areas. The initial eligibility list will be released Friday. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. There are those who are feeling left out of this priority plan. After 707, we're going to visit with the transit union. It's asking why its drivers aren't on this list. In the meantime, the province is also grappling with a supply issue. 25% of all adults in this province have received at least one dose of the vaccine. As Global's Joe Scarpelli explains, at the current rate of vaccination, Manitoba will be out of its current vaccine supply within a week and a half. Manitoba's vaccine rollout hit another milestone. More than 25% of all adults have now received at least one dose. But as more people become eligible, there are questions around the supply chain. I want to be very clear that this supply chain pressures that we're feeling at the moment is a short to medium term pressure. The Vaccine Task Force co-lead says Manitoba is marked down for about 70,000 Pfizer doses a week starting in May, with that number only expected to increase by the end of that month. Moderna and AstraZeneca, on the other hand. We don't have clarity from the federal government at this time on Moderna shipments, apart from the one that should still come in by the end of this month, and nothing new in terms of AstraZeneca shipments. Still, he insists, the supply chain will stabilize. The province is now hoping to have all Manitobans over 18 who want a shot get at least one by June 9th. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. So I think, you know, when you hear that, part of me wonders about the supply chain. And then the other part of me thinks maybe, does it feel like we're getting a bit more organized with this plan? And it's all kind of, I don't know if clicking is the right word, but it's making sense when you hear what they're saying and how they're trying to really prioritize some hot spots, Greg. I just, I know there are people who are feeling left out, but unfortunately there's, there's going to be people who feel left out no matter what kind of list is created. No, I'd agree. And uh, in terms of sensing that maybe things are clicking along, uh, Brittany Greenside tweeting out yesterday uh, the fact that we uh, surpassed over 13,000 doses administered yesterday for the first time. So that's encouraging for sure, Brett. Happy Earth Day. Hey, by the way, Couch Potatoes TV recommendation, Life in Color with David Attenborough debuts today on Netflix. Couch Potatoes have preview access. I watched the first episode yesterday. It is mesmerizing. Some never-before-seen technology capturing some unbelievable stuff. So if you like watching animal shows, uh, especially with David Attenborough, this one is a winner. So check that out. I'll have more on the Couch Potatoes podcast, which will be available by around 2.30. No, make that probably even 1.30 this afternoon. Loren, what are we doing at 7.07? 
Well, what do you think in terms of who should be on this priority list? What do our listeners think? We know that there are going to be people who are increasingly eligible for the vaccine based either on your age or this list that the province put out yesterday on frontline workers. Not on it. Bus drivers. Do you think bus drivers should have been included? Our guest at 707 certainly thinks so, and we'll speak with the head of the local union then. And a question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Should transit drivers be given vaccine priority? You can cast your vote on that, cjob.com, or on Twitter, at 680CJOB. And in our next segment, Kendra teeing us up here with a great text message saying, Hi there, I saw your Instagram post. Oh, thanks for following us on Instagram, Kendra. Saw your post about old electronics, so I will be listening when I'm off to work this a.m. But here is a box of shame that I keep, which is on my list to one day recycle properly. Oh, yes, there is a flip phone in there, a BlackBerry, a few iPods, etc. Sort of like a box you would bury your furry friend in when it passed away. But alas, it's full of electronics and I just keep adding to it. I've thought about someone finding my iPod relics in 100 years and thinking, why were the Backstreet Boys so popular? (laughs) (laughs) They could figure out how to press play, I suppose. Yeah, that is wonderful. And Kendra, I still have a flip phone somewhere buried in my uh, various boxes of Random memories of which I don't know why I keep them because I never go back to them. Anyway, we'll have more on that in our next segment. But we continue our conversation now, GMAC, on the return of the CFL. So August 5th is the goal. That is the return to work date, so to speak, that the CFL, the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, announced yesterday. And, of course, that's a target at this point in time because there are so many variables, including Will teams in Eastern Canada, in particular in Ontario, be able to welcome players? What does the third wave look like in British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan? We still don't really know how this all plays out. That's going to be a big key to this. Also, American players, we've seen it with the National Hockey League, so we know that it can be done with regard to keeping people uh, quarantined and different protocols with uh, their Uh, testing and everything that needs to be in place. They have uh, laid out a rough draft with a very specific date and goal, like I said, of August 5th for the start of the regular season, December 12th in Hamilton for the Grey Cup. But I think it's safe to say that everything in between is still potentially a moving target. One thing for sure, Brett, the CFL cannot, and they proved it last year, while all the other quote-unquote major sports leagues were going back to work and working in bubbles without fans, the Canadian Football League absolutely could not put teams on the field without fans in the stands. And so that's a big part of the equation here. It's probably the number one obstacle of the teams getting back on the field. And so Randy Ambrosi, along with sitting down and laying out what it looks like to get players into Canada, talked about what it would take to get bums in the seats. Going forward, the whole kind of question of a vaccine passport I know is being discussed, not just in the world of sports, but in the world in general. And, you know, we don't have an answer to that today, but what we do have is uh, is a lot of confidence that we can start a season on Thursday, August the 5th, and play a great CFL season and see a great cup champion crowned on December the 12th in Hamilton. So, so what do we think about like this? Ultimately. Yeah, well, I was just going to ask what we think about this. You know, like what, it's just this kind of floating the question that's been talked about for months now, right? Once the vaccines start rolling, 
are we going to need proof of that vaccine? You get a piece of paper that says you have it. I've seen people wear some stickers in different provinces. I don't think you're going to wear a sticker for the rest of your life. But are you going to need to have proof for certain events? You know, Ticketmaster floated that a few months ago. I'm personally, I still, I'm still not for the idea of a vaccine passport just because I, I feel like that creates a have, have not situation depending on where we are with the vaccines. That said, Brett, I know there are people who'd be more comfortable knowing that the person six feet away from them has had that vaccine. Yeah, and I, I think if it if it came down to it for me, I know that, like, not immediately, but once the vaccination process is complete and everyone has had a shot at it, and if health officials come out and say not enough people have been vaccinated, so because, you know, a, a lot of people decided I don't want to get the vaccine, if they were to move ahead with a vaccine passport kind of a situation, I think I'd be okay with that. Uh, because if a business wants to only allow vaccinated people in, I mean, barring a medical exemption, of course, like if there's some sort of a medical reason that prevents you from getting a vaccine, fine. I completely understand that. But if, if it's your choice not to be vaccinated, then it should be, I, I think, anybody's choice not to let you through the door. That's sort of how I feel about it. Um, cons- considering some of the anger out there, I, I've kind of had it with the 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 anti-vax sort of sentiments. So if uh, if it comes down to it and health officials say, uh, we're going to create this, I am in support of it. Greg. What about this? I was thinking about this just before we came on air. Birthday parties, weddings, family gatherings. Are you going to be asking your friends and family before they come over, what's your vaccination status? Hmm. It might not be even as large as Bell MTS Place, the Playhouse Theater, Concert Hall. It might be your own house where you ask that question and you might be hesitant to let people into your home if they haven't been vaccinated. Have you guys thought about that? Uh, have you thought about then? Are you people going to start going down the road of which vaccine do you have? Because, I, you know, <laughs> this vaccine's more effective than that vaccine. I'm only letting the ones who got in this column through the door and not that column. There's ethical and social concerns. There's, you know, what does the data show in terms of how these are working? And then I was, quite frankly, when when the kids started going to school, I was surprised to learn that we didn't have to prove they were vaccinated or had their immunizations on, you know, measles and rubella and mumps and all the rest. So there, there's a slope that you could start sliding down there that has me concerned. I hear the argument for the proof. This is a whole different scenario with this pandemic um, that we've all never been in before, but I don't know. (laughs) I found a clean version. Yes, (laughs) I found a clean version of still by the ghetto boys. Which, of course, was made famous by which film, Loren McNabb? Ah, uh, Office. The Office. Is it Office Space or office just The space. Office? Yes. So I'm, and I should know that. I've watched it all the time, what with the flair and all the rest. But this is the music that's playing in the scene. After two men are fired from this job at Inatech, this tech company, they, they're so frustrated with their bad technology. You know, we all have that printer that breaks down at work or whatnot. So they have this printer that this Michael, Michael Bolton is his name. <laughs> Exactly. He can't. Uh, he can't make it work, and so they take it out to the field after they fired, and they kick the living daylights out of it. Bat. There's, a, there's an awesome leg drop, I yeah. think, Brett. A couple times he goes back. <laughs> he has to be held back from throwing down with the printer. <laughs> All of a Great sudden, scene. they have feeling for this thing. It's like, no, 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 that's enough. 
Yeah. Don't take it too far. Take it. Get back. Get back. Oh, great scene. Great. Every time I hear that tune, I think I want to kick the crap out of a printer. Yeah. We all have that printer in our lives. So right now we're talking about electronics and we need you at 204-780-6868 to send, to text us, tell us a story about your old electronics. Do you have any old electronics? Do you have a pile of old electronics? Do you have a box full of cords or cell phones? Kendra sent us her box of shame that still has a flip phone in it and iPods full of Backstreet Boys music. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza on the line. And at 935, we're going to learn more about how to recycle electronics. But in the meantime, let's go around the horn here. we got Jeff Braun, Cam Portis, Jeff Fortier. Jeff Braun, I know you uh, have been very good at purging over the years. So is there anything, any remnants of this kind of stuff in your home? Oh, yeah, there still is. I got a couple of laptops just sitting on a shelf because, like, I don't really know what to do with them. And there's pro- I I don't know that there's sensitive information on there, but there might be. So I just, I was just <laughs> like, I'll just put it on the shelf for now. And that was years ago, and they're still there. I do have a little cabinet filled with cords to nothing that I own anymore that I refuse to get rid of because you never know when you're going to need the cord. And uh, when, it's, when you need it, you'll have it, right? So I got that. And uh, like you, I've got like a big box of cassette tapes from junior high and high school yeah. that I refuse to part with. I had a car that had a tape deck in it as early as four years ago. So um, I, I feel like I, I can't throw out the cassette tapes. I, I curated that collection of hair bands uh, too carefully in my younger <laughs> days, and I'm, I refuse to part with it. Yeah, I, I, I kept all of my mixtapes. Like, uh, I think I probably made over 100 of them, and I kept them even though I got rid of my stereo that plays tapes years ago. Yeah. But I finally got, I got my hands on one in recent months. It was an old stereo that was in our previous building. They were just giving it away, and it sounds awesome. So that's all I listen to now at home is all my old mixtapes, all my old 90s rock and 90s rap yeah. and techno music. I might have to cruise garage sales for... Uh ghetto blasters with a tape deck in them this summer or something like that. Poitras. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually with, uh, I'm, I'm with uh, Braun there. I mean, I, I've gone into that box of wires where everything is just like, a, and I've found wires at work. So I, I can't bring myself to get rid of that kind of stuff either. But uh, my Game Boy Color, my green Game Boy Color that I played Pokemon Red on in like my <laughs> grade one, grade two uh, life, or, you know, it was just all about Pokemon, everyone at school. I cannot, I can never give my, I have actually have it like on display at the house. My green Game Boy Color, can never get rid of that. And my first, um, my first ever like uh, iPhone, my, uh, uh, I have it in a, in a box uh, in the basement and I've thought about throwing it away, but I said, nah, I'll, I'll keep it. One day it'll be a relic and I'll show my great grandchildren, this is what we used to have, children, you know, and I, I can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Mackling, what about you? Well, it's funny Cam mentions his first iPhone. What is it about the Apple box and the f- box that the iPhones come in? They're, they're just, they're so nice. Like, you just can't throw them out. So That is true. I, I don't know. I can't throw out the Apple box, let alone the, as reported, six miles of speaker wire, the various RCA cables, the computer system, speaker systems, all the different speakers. Uh, what else have I got uh, in stock here? Uh, we're blowing it all out, folks. Uh, we have <laughs> printers by the dozens. We have stereo amplifiers, tape decks, CD players. Uh, we've got it all at Crazy Greg's. Come on down and uh, you can take it away for free. I'll take a tape deck. <laughs> I'll sign you up. You want the double deck or the single standard deck, uh, Jeff? Do you want the Techniques or do you want the Lloyds brand? Techniques, please. 
Okay. Uh, we only have a minute left here, but uh, so Forte will get to you at 7.15. Loren, what do you got? So here's the question. Is it because we think they might come in handy at some point? They have nostalgia no. or we just don't know what to do with them? I have under my bed two laptops. I'm waiting for the day someone at this company says, remember that laptop we gave you in 2005? Like, we'd like it back because it's under my bed and it doesn't work, but you can have it back because I don't know what to do with it. I've got VHS tapes, DVDs. We have old gaming systems. I have at least five different drawers with these cords in it. I once counted when I was purging in the summer, 15 different blocks to plug in your iPhone and four different BlackBerry chargers. And nobody has the BlackBerry anymore, at least not in this house. But I do, Braun, I do recommend getting yourself a Ghetto Blaster. We have one for the garage and the one and only CD we have left in this house. I only want to be with you. Hootie and the Blowfish. Yep. Got it for $1, and I'm not getting rid of that thing. You still, you only have one CD left? Oh, I'm sure I've got a box of them somewhere. Oh. In fact, I know I do. I'm looking at one right now. I, weirdly, in my basement, I have this leather ottoman that you can sit on, and that's where I've stored old games and CDs, you know, just in case you're sitting there watching a movie and want to whip out an old CD. But the Use only them as a CD, coaster, McNabb. <laughs> the only CD that ever plays in that ghetto, Hootie and the Blowfish. Normally, this is where we do Hextall and hockey, but I see we don't have one today. So, Jeff Forte, what do you got? I got the mu- Oh, I got the music. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you just said we don't have Hextall. That's yeah. okay. You've at- now added some ambiance to your... Uh, to Keep the music oh, going while you tell going. your story. Okay. Well, for me, unlike Braun, I have that laptop, and I keep it for one reason. It's got a CD-ROM in it. None of my electronics yes. have a CD-ROM, and I only use it for DVDs, really. Like, if I'm sitting on my balcony, I'll bring that out, and I sit on my balcony, watch a DVD, but none of my electronics now has a CD-ROM in it. Oh, you know what? Yeah, so, like, what, if you want to access just files? Files? Or, for me, like I said, I use for DVDs where I can watch DVD where I can't bring a TV. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> there's another thing. I've got boxes of uh, old like burnt CDs that are like I burned as MP3 files that I can actually play in my car, but I don't have anything in my home that I could play. Well, I wonder if my Blu-ray player would do that. I, Most Blu-ray think, players yeah. will play a CD. Um, I don't know about that particular kind, but yeah, like a data a data yeah, yeah. CD. Oh man, okay, that's weird. Ha. Well, here's what you do. 204-780-6868. Tell us about your old electronics. If you've got a picture of your box of shame, text it to us with a story for a chance to win a $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza. We'll give it away just after 9.15, and then at 9.35, we'll tell you how you can recycle that box of shame. Great text from Jacob who says, Some years back... I liked putting my favorite tunes on CD using the computer. Burning CDs. Many times, though, it would screw up. That was the worst. Burning CDs. Remember that, Loren? You get, you, like, you're burning a CD. You almost get to the end. It's like at 99%, and then it craps out, and you got to start over and throw out that CD. That's why I had to buy, like, 100 CDs at a time. Did yeah, but weren't that? they like ninety nine cents a CD or something? Like you could get, a, you'd have like a, you'd have like a thousand CDs in those packages. Like why? Well, how many CDs am I burning? I love that you buy those bulk uh, blank CDs to burn on. And Jacob's text. Sorry, go ahead. Can I? 
I, I just want to say, and you never knew which one you needed. The R-E-W, the R-W, the rewritable, the unre... <laughs> like, and, and sometimes they would work and sometimes they wouldn't. I just got rid of a whole stack of them. There must have been 130 in a package. It's like, what was I thinking? I don't know if I ever used 10 of them. That's what I'm saying. I think I maybe did it twice. So Jacob texted to say some years back, he liked to put his tunes on CD using the computer. Many times it would screw up. And one day he spent hours making what he thought would be the best classic rock disc. The computer screwed up again. And that was the last straw for Jacob. He says, I took the computer out, put it in the fire pit, poured gas into the port and lit it. When my wife came home, it was still smoking in the pit. He adds, not very environmentally friendly, I guess. No. And yes, Jacob, not hilarious story, though. I, I can feel your pain. And we're going to hear more at 935 on how to maybe better recycle our electronics rather than lighting them on fire. 204-780-6868. Text us your electronic stories for your chance to win the $20 gift card Santa Lucia pizza. In the meantime, the list of Manitobans who will soon be prioritized for vaccination is growing. In addition to the age-based criteria, Brett, people who live in communities at higher risk or work in specific frontline jobs will be eligible for a vaccine starting tomorrow. That list includes Manitobans who work in a school, in a childcare and food processing facilities, grocery stores, gas stations, and anywhere that provides food, Lorette. Yeah, and there's, of course, people who are going to be happy that they're on that list. And there's those asking questions about why they're not getting priority. I know we're working on a story today about pregnant women and the risks that might be uh, for them as they wait to have their children while waiting for that vaccine. They're wondering about their priority. And there are other people uh, throughout Manitoba that are questioning, hang on, should we be eligible sooner? And that includes this group of Manitobans that work with hundreds of different people each day, often in a very crowded space or, or bus. Romeo Ignacio is the president of the local Amalgamated Transit Union and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Lauren, Greg, and Brett. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. Tell us, what was the reaction from your members yesterday when you learned you weren't going to be included in this priority list? Were you thinking that you would be? Well, we were hoping to be um, in in the list since uh, last week. We've been uh, working hard to to, uh, get the province to acknowledge that there's risk in our um, workplace. Uh, you know, we have an unusual workplace, as you may know. Uh, every driver has a different bus. Every uh, driver goes uh, pretty much uh, every part in every part of the city. So there's, uh, we feel that there's higher risk for our workers. And, and it's not just that. Um, even those uh, workers, our transit uh, support staff working at the garages, they're exposed to uh, the buses as well. Uh, when whenever uh, our bus operators bring that bus back, uh, you never know who uh, got on that bus, and um, it, it sometimes it doesn't get disinfected or sanitized right away. So, whoever's working on that bus, be it be, be it the, uh, the maintenance guy or the mechanic, um, you know, your there's a potential exposure to uh, COVID. Have you been given a reason as to why your drivers are not on the list? No, uh, we actually haven't heard from uh, the province. Uh, I know the city has been pushing hard as well. Uh, They're actually um, on the same page with us uh, as far as the uh, on-site vaccination because uh, it it just makes sense. Uh, It takes away the um, um, people that are needing to go to RBC because now we will have our uh, vaccination. Um, 
on-site, and it's actually usually done every year, uh, twice a year actually, uh, as a regular thing for uh, our our transit workers, uh, no, the yearly flu shots. But now, obviously, everyone's concerned about COVID, so we could easily use the, the vaccines it's, if it's made available by the province uh, in, and let the city administer that vaccine to our uh, workers. Romeo, we got a text from a listener this morning who suggested passengers are more at risk than drivers as drivers are behind those safety shields, behind the plexiglass. What do you say to that? Well, I I appreciate that and I understand that as well. But um, see, uh, passengers ride the bus for about 30 minutes. Our, our drivers drive the same bus for eight hours and even more. Um, and so the likelihood of contracting or getting uh, you know getting the virus is higher i mean you know i'm not saying that uh, the passengers all the passengers that get on are infected but uh, there are asymptomatic people that will report uh, maybe two or three days later that they uh, got on the bus and you know you can see that in the uh, provincial website there's a lot of exposures on transit uh, routes yeah, we, we definitely saw that, Romeo. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just curious, do we know of any drivers who contracted COVID over the past year? Yeah, uh, actually, there's uh, 17 that we know of. And actually, there's two that just called me uh, uh, last week. And they're off work for at least 14 days. So, I mean, it's happening. The risk is there. And, um, you know, the shields, they're not meant for, for COVID. They're meant for um, um, as a prevention for assaults, and it's not even very effective for assaults because um, there's been um, uh, four occasions where passengers actually were able to grab the the wheel of the bus while it's in motion. So, I mean, you know, there's always that potential, and um, you know, everyone needs the the protection. I think, but uh, we have to consider, and even. Um, uh, I believe that it was stated uh, in the news release yesterday that um, they're considering the risk factor. And, you know, it's puzzling that there's a lot of risk here being uh, public facing, they say. You know, the, the, our operators are very much out there in the public. They're waiting for their bus to take over their bus uh, at the bus shelters. And there's a lot of people that are congregating in the bus shelters. There's even uh, news uh, this morning, I think, about. Um, uh, you know, trans corner residents concerned about uh, taking the bus because of the um, uh, people who have suffered from homelessness staying on the, the bus sh- in the bus shelter. So there's a lot of concerns out there, uh, and our members are really feeling demoralized. They're always on edge every day, um, and you know, I, I, it's, it shouldn't be a, a fight between. Uh, any other public service or uh, other essential workers. Romeo Ignacio is the president of the local Amalgamated Transit Union joining us live on 680 CJOB. Romeo, thank you very much for the time. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we're asking you to tell us a story about your old electronics. If you have a picture to accompany that, if you have a box of old phones or cords or whatever, 
204-780-6868. gift card. Santa Lucia pizza up for grabs. We'll give it away just after 915. Mackling, what's J- uh, TJ got to say? TJ, the trucker, says, when I was growing up around six years old, my foster dad had one of the first flip phones. And when he changed phones, he gave it to me. And then one day I was playing with it and it was still able to make emergency calls. I didn't realize this. So I hit the button for emergency call and then I put the phone away. Next thing we knew, there were cop cars pulling up in the driveway because the call went through to the police. And because nobody answered, they thought it was an actual emergency. Let's just say that after that, my foster dad didn't give me his old phone. <laughs> I miss I miss the flip phone. That that story, well, I, it's it's funny, but it makes me miss the flip phone. You can buy flip phones again. They've now they've started making flip phones with touch screens. Yeah. No. See, I just want. I think we need to go back to the phones that do less in some ways, so we all don't have our heads down and not speaking to one another, and not to mention my text neck that's creeped up over the last year. <laughs> that's Logan. what I'm blaming it on, anyway. Not age. It's the texting. Lorenzo just turning into a hunchback yeah. thanks to just, the cell phone. Well, not even that. The wrinkles in my neck is what I'm blaming it on. <laughs> I'm like, why are there so many wrinkles? It's from the texting. It's a crossing. Our next guest makes weekly, but the side trip that was added to his trek into North Dakota this week won't soon be forgotten. Yeah, it was uh, Tuesday morning that we learned Manitoba commercial truck drivers who regularly travel to the U.S. would be able to get the COVID-19 vaccine in North Dakota. Hours later, driver Chris Aubrey had his appointment booked. Chris drives for paying transportation and his job regularly has him heading south. And it included that vaccine yesterday. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Well, tell us about your job, first of all. How often are you going to the U.S.? Every trip. I load here in Manitoba and head to... All points, USA, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, all over. So, Chris, tell us, how has the last year been for you, crossing as often as you do and uh, heading out to all those places that you just mentioned and and being out and about in the United States, some of the hardest hit areas uh, anywhere in the world with this pandemic? Right. It's it's changed trucking for me uh, totally. Uh, getting a, a microwave in my truck, um, eating three meals a day in my truck, just staying out of truck stops, staying away from people in general, like going in truck stops just to use the restroom, and but at the same time trying to just keep my distance from everybody, you know what I'm saying? And then taking people taking my temperature on uh, places where we deliver and stuff like that, and then mask protocols and whatnot. It's, it's been different, yeah. What was your reaction when you heard the United States was going to help vaccinate Manitoba's truckers? I didn't believe it. The first the first I heard of it was from my wife. She called me and told me that. She says, do you know where the Drayton, North Dakota rest area is? And I said, well, yeah, I stop there all the time to use the restroom before hitting the border. And she said, yeah, I thought so. The North Dakota is going to set up a, a thing there where you can get vaccinated coming back to Canada. And I said, you're kidding. And she said, no. You should call about it. And I said, well, I'll wait and see, because it's hard to believe that this is actually true. And then not too long after that, my company uh, messaged me, or all of us, and told us the same thing and gave us a link on how to set up an appointment. And I did it and set up an appointment and bing, bang, I got vaccinated. 
I want to ask you about the process in a second, Chris, but, you know, when you say you couldn't believe it, has there been some, how would you say you were feeling waiting to find out when you would get that vaccine, given all the travel that you do and the cross-border nature of your work? I mean, have you been wondering why you weren't prioritized earlier? Just tell us a bit about that. Yes. Um, not just me, my mom, my dad, my wife, they're all just wondering why, like you said, I'm traveling to the U.S. to the hardest hit areas. Uh, they called us essential workers when we when this pandemic first got rolling, and and but all of a sudden we're just sort of put to the back of the line as far our as far as um, vaccines go. So I guess it was a little disheartening, uh, you know, knowing that we we were doing what we were doing and taking the risks that we were and and not getting vaccinated. But you know, whatever it is, what it is. It is what it is. I think that we said that a lot. Sorry, Greg. I just I wanted to ask then. So what did you feel like? Tell us about you crossed the border just before you crossed yesterday. You pull over and you get a Coke with a side of vaccine. Like, how does that work? Um, I was coming from the U.S. to Canada. So like I'm down around Chicago. I made the appointment and uh, I rolled. In, and then the next day, uh, 4, 10 p.m. was my appointment. And uh, like I said, I, I was I didn't believe this was going to happen until it actually happened, right? So, um, up to the rest area I come, and they've got it the left lane blocked off, and so uh, and then we because the rest area is in the median, it's in between the two, the southbound and northbound lanes. So they got it blocked off, and there's a, a, a state trooper sitting there with his lights flashing, and you exit to the rest area, and you go into the rest area and park. And uh, they got a trailer. Uh, it's um, North Dakota Health trailer sitting there. Came from Bismarck, the guy said. And uh, yeah, you get out of your truck with your license, uh, your license and your Manitoba health card. You go in, sign a consent form, and then they hit you with the needle. And then you go out and sit for 15 minutes, and then you get back in your truck and go home, or go south, whichever whichever way you were going. You know what I'm saying? It's so brilliant and yet so simple all at the same time. And obviously some collaboration here between the state of North Dakota and the province of Manitoba to make this happen, to make it seamless. So this is just on I-29, Chris, did I, did I miss the exact location? Sorry. Yeah. I-29 mile marker, um, 179, uh, just about 37 miles or 60 kilometers from the Canada U S border. Wow. So how are you feeling? I know Brett has had his, his first uh, dose, you, you sat for the 15 minutes. Have you had any other complications or or any side effects at all? None. Just my sore arm. Same as a flu shot, it feels like. You know, like I get flu shots every year. So it's the same deal. Sore arm, and that's it. Right now, anyway. It, I don't know if it's going to get worse or not. And uh, sorry, which vaccine did you get? Moderna. The Moderna, okay. Yeah, because we, we've been hearing mixed bag reactions across the board on the AstraZeneca, which is uh, when they opened up the eligibility to 40 and up. So I ran out and got the AstraZeneca, and I didn't have the best time with it. I know people have been laid up, others who have been completely fine. So glad to hear you're doing okay, uh, because we've also heard mixed reaction on the Moderna vaccine as well. So do you know how it's going to work then when it comes to getting that second dose? Yeah, they wrote right on. They're there for six weeks, so they she wrote right on my uh, paper to you know wait twenty eight days and then make an appointment when I'm on my way back through and I'll get the second dose. So it's awesome. My wife is jealous. She says you're I'm going to be dosed twice before she gets dosed twice. You know, and she was dosed way before me. 
she's the essential worker of some sort too then chris no no she um she she is a child care worker and she her our granddaughter is uh immune compromised so she got since she sees our granddaughter every day she got dosed before i did Perfect. I'm glad to hear that. Well, at least you're both well on your way. And, and I, you know, I can hear, I, I don't know if it's fair to say, but there's, is there some relief in your voice right now? Absolutely. I, I, I like, I, I wasn't sure if, when I was going to get this thing. It was starting to feel like I never would. And then bam, out of the blue, here it comes at a rest area where I'm at all the time. And it's just like, <laughs> wow, that's great. It is total relief, total relief. And to know that I'm going to get the second dose in 28 or more days, you know, before six weeks is up is just awesome. And did they just give you proof of vaccination? Wow. Sorry, oh, Greg, sorry. go ahead. What was that? Greg, you I was go just ahead. saying disbelief and relief all at the same time. And you just mentioned, you know, how you were feeling at the beginning of this pandemic. You mentioned earlier how you were deemed essential and then maybe sort of made to feel as though you weren't necessarily that way and taken for granted. I can tell you on behalf of thousands of Manitobans and Canadians, we, we've always thought of you as essential and never more so in this pandemic. It, it's great to hear your, your a variety of, emo- of emotions in your voice, Chris. Thanks for sharing that with us. It, it means a lot. No sweat. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate the, uh, just being able to, you know, lend my voice to this topic and those people in North Dakota were awesome. They were so nice to us, and uh, it was just a wonderful experience, totally, top to bottom. Chris, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Chris drives for pain transportations. His job regularly has him heading south, and he got his first dose of the Moderna vaccine, and he can get his second shot in 28 days. We start this half hour by talking about Sharing spaces and sharing stories. That's the goal of a partnership between True North Sports and Entertainment and a Winnipeg group working to provide thousands of hours of sports programming for kids right across the province. Greg, are you there? Oh, Greg's not back yet. Loren, are well, you there? I can pick it up for sure. So the group you're talking about, you mentioned True North having this partnership with this fabulous Winnipeg-based group. It's the Winnipeg Aboriginal Sport Achievement Centre. And so to tell us more about what WASAC, as we'll call it, does and this partnership with True North, and of course in a special event this weekend, we are joined by Kevin Chief, who is True North's Senior Advisor in Community Development. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's always great to get you on. And I remember doing stories on uh, Winnipeg Aboriginal Sport Achievement Centre years ago and just being in awe of the work that goes on there. And I know it's an organization that's close to your heart. So can you tell us a bit more about it first for listeners who might not be familiar with the work it does? Because it started pretty small. I think there was just two coaches and a couple dozen kids in the beginning. But man, has it grown over the years. It has, yeah. It started with uh, myself. Uh, a friend of mine, Pino Pisano from the city of Winnipeg, and Ron Chartrand, who is a longtime uh, vice president of the Manitoba Métis Federation. And what we wanted to do was to find a way to do sport, rec, and cultural activities. And it, it came off the momentum that was being built around the 2002 North American Indigenous Games. And so we wanted to try to figure out how to use those sport, rec, and cultural activities and shape that into leadership development And it didn't take long to build momentum to provide the service to young people, often a lot of low-income young people in Winnipeg. And in short order, we expanded it all throughout Manitoba in isolated First Nation and Métis communities. And in its very early days, 
we were able to build a relationship with Mark Chipman and at the time the Manitoba Moose to try to make the game hockey more accessible. Um, and so there's been this long, uh, long-term partnership. I mean, we're pushing almost 20 years between True North and the Winnipeg Aboriginal uh, Sport Achievement Centre, and we just continue to build on that year after year. So it's been pretty amazing. What communities Can we talk about some some of the communities that are involved and maybe some success stories that have come along the way, individuals that may have taken advantage of the opportunities provided. Yeah, so we work with communities like uh, Shimanawa, Pungasi, like these are some of the isolated communities, the Métis community of Duck Bay. Um, these are communities that uh, recently we've heard a lot about because they've been devastated by COVID. And so we've also been able to use young people to be able to um, get them involved in WASAC through, uh, you know, often summer employment and then get jobs. Um, you know, there's a, a young man named Riley Nipanak who started at WASAC and, you know, went on to be part of a program. He had a, a job placement with True North. And now he's leading his own uh, youth organization called Initiative. And you, you, you saw them in action when we just went through this really incredible cold spell. And it was a group of young people providing support and services to people experiencing homelessness. And so someone like Riley is not only touched by WASAC, but had opportunities with True North and now continues to work within that network. Um, but the foundation for him was sport rec and cultural activities that led him into the, you know, this incredible leader he is now. And so we've been able to help, you know, thousands of young people like that throughout Manitoba. And we try to make sure that anything we do in Winnipeg is also we're reaching the northern part of our province as well as part of it. So what's happening this weekend? So this weekend is sort of like the crescendo of this long-term partnership. So we have something called WASAC Night. So our, our team uh, is the first team in the National Hockey League to ban the headdress many years ago. Uh, first team to do a land acknowledgement, and we did that as part of the Heritage Classic. Uh, you know, the first team to indigenize our, both the Jets and the Moose logos in a time where sports logos are very controversial. We're on the other side of that, and that was led by Leticia Spence, who is a Wasac alumni, but who's been working very closely with the True North team. So this coming Saturday, 6 p.m., it's Jets versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the whole theme of that game, you'll hear from, uh, you'll see young people, you'll get these stories, we're honouring our elders, like uh, the legendary Ray St. Germain is going to be singing the national anthem, who's like a Manitoba cultural icon. Uh, for the first time, we're going to be launching Indigenous Symbolism, driven by community for the First Nation, Métis, Inuit, when the land acknowledgement's done. And I got to say that we just announced that these products that we put the indigenous jets and moose logos, it was so supported by our community that we just announced over $62,000 of the proceeds true North uh, gave that donated at to Wasac so that young people in Northern Manitoba have more access to sport rec and cultural activities. So whether you're indigenous and non-indigenous, if you buy any of the Wasac jet skier, 100% of those proceeds goes to 
uh, young people in northern Manitoba for more sport rec and cultural opportunities. And I just got to take a moment right now to thank by far the best fans in the National Hockey League and everybody who supported uh, us along the way to be able to get that kind of support from our community, you know, on behalf of the team at True North, on behalf of the team at Wasac, uh, I want to thank our community for doing that. You're, you're really putting a lot of smiles on children and young people's faces in communities that have been absolutely devastated by COVID. And so this coming Saturday, it's going to be a celebration of our collective history of Indigenous sport, uh, culture and pride through stories and our songs and our youth and our elders. So we're very excited. The logos are beautiful. We just got dropped off at the station and, and Brett sent me a picture because, of course, I'm working at home, Kevin, of just the different T-shirts and jerseys and all the rest that you can get to help support the cause and help help kids and communities across this province um, just be empowered through sport. So the clothing alone is beautiful. But before we let you go, I'm just curious, what does it mean? Those Some people might think it's a small thing, like the land acknowledgement, um, the uh, Ray St. Germain singing the national anthem, but it's, it's, it's such a big step forward in incorporating uh, everything that we need to talk about into the game itself in terms of uh, recognizing and acknowledging the, the great history of Indigenous peoples in this province? Yeah, you know, the best way for me to answer that question is, is like this. When we ban the headdress, mm-hmm. one of the things that True North has always done is to seek the advice and guidance and support of the Indigenous community. So when that happened, Mark Chipman phoned former Grand Chief Derek Nipanak, but also uh, Elder Whitebird, who is the treaty commissioner, before that decision was made. And then last year, I was on TGOB, and the question was, because we, for the first time in the National Hockey League, we heard the national anthem done in Anishinaabe. And so when I came on your station, it was like, how will the fans know when to yell True North if the anthem is going to be done in Anishinaabe? And it was done by the strong Anishinaabe girl warrior singers and when that anthem was done there was a moment where all the fans knew exactly when to yell true north and those girls faces smiled these children's faces smiled but what people didn't see is that behind the jets bench i was with elder whitebird and he looked at me and he literally had tears in his eyes and he said never in my lifetime did i ever think i would be seeing children that remind me of my granddaughter, that they'd be singing our national anthem in our language. He is somebody who's a residential school survivor and went through the worst things that any child would have to go through simply to want to speak his language. And there he was watching close to 16,000 fans embrace that. I, I don't... It's so hard to explain the impact of that that it just really really matters and that's what this night's about it's it's not just a celebration of indigenous pride but that celebration of the collective pride and Mm -hmm making sure that every child and their gifts and talents are used on this platform, but just loved and embraced by our community. I'm just so uh, appreciative of that level of support. Um, 
So, yeah. Kevin Chief, True North's Senior Advisor in Community Development. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time as always, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We have been asking you to text us at 204-780-6868 about your old electronics, whether you got just a pile of them or a pile of cords, a box of cords, a box of phones. Kendra referred to her box of shame full of old phones and iPods that are going to leave people wondering 100 years from now, why were the Backstreet Boys so popular? And you sent... Dozens of pictures, and thank you very much. Uh, trip down memory lane for a lot of this stuff. But Mark is our winner, Greg. What did Mark have to say? Well, he said, I've got so much used electronics from satellite capture cards for PCs to various remotes, video cables, audio cables, computer parts, and cell phones, direct TV receivers, TiVo, BVR boxes. My wife says I'm very ill. Now, accompanying uh, this list of stuff that he has were pictures of how well organized it is. So I'm not so sure how ill he is. My 100 disc techniques, CD stacker and Panasonic VHS direct TV receiver will be going up on eBay in case anyone wants to bid on it. Ha ha ha. And he adds the home theater, not quite set up, but when it's ready, we should have a big post-COVID party with like a 100-inch screen. That looks not too bad, Mark. Congratulations, you win. Right now, we are going to have the conversation that inspired this morning's discussion, which was about old electronics. Send us pics of your old electronics, and you answered the call. Congratulations again to Mark. For winning our contest, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza, based on his illness, as described by his <laughs> wife. But uh, one of our listeners also called it her drawer of shame, <laughs> the spot where she shoves old flip phones, iPods, and cords, things she no longer uses but just hasn't gotten rid of. Yeah, we all have them, whether it's in bins or boxes or under our bed. We all have old electronics and cables that we've either we're either convinced that we can't toss or we just don't know how to toss them and that could be an emotional thing as well <laughs> we won't count on dennis newfeld to get us through that part of it but in terms of the where dennis is the executive director of manitoba's electronic products recycling association and joins us now good morning dennis good morning well, maybe you do have some insight. <laughs> what do, do you have any idea in, in the in the years that you've been uh, working with recycled electronics? Any idea as to why we're so reluctant to get rid of these things? Why we hold on to them the way we do? Well, you know what? Over the years, we've done a lot of studies on this, and 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 part of it is. Um, you know, we spent a lot of money on our electronics and we just, you know, they get old and they're not useful anymore. They don't do what we want them to do, but we just have that attachment because we've spent money on it. Uh, so we can't throw it out. And the other side is there's a little bit of fear too that, that uh, you know, you have your cell phone, your laptop, even your digital camera. You know, our lives are on there and a lot of personal information. So, so and those are things that we want to talk about so, you know, that we can get over so that you can recycle your electronics. So when we talk about uh, electronics, what's, what falls under that umbrella or category for you and your organization, Dennis? Is it everything from the TVs to the cables to those phones? Well, give us yeah, the so, kind of rundown. Yeah, so most people think of us as, you know, TVs and, and uh, uh, computers. 
but there's so much more. Things like microwave ovens, um, printers, fax machines for our commercial customers, uh, floor-standing photocopiers, uh, and then there's things like car stereos, home stereos, home phones, and cellular phones. And, and we can't forget about what we call peripherals that go with these. So when you're recycling your computer, we also want the keyboard and the mice, the cables. And when you're bringing in a, a handheld like a cell phone or a tablet, don't forget about the, the charging cables, even the car chargers, because we accept all that and we recycle all that as well. So you, you mentioned the, the, the fear of, of the personal information that is on these devices. So before somebody does decide to take the step to recycle, say, an old laptop, like one of our colleagues, Jeff Braun, was saying he's got two old laptops just sitting on the shelf because he doesn't know what's on there and figures he should probably figure that out, but he, he's too lazy to bother. But what should is there a step that we need to take before we come in? Do you have any guidance on that? So there's always that, you know, you can always uh, delete this information. Uh, there's even, you know, some home hacks that if you can pull the hard drive out, you can drill a hole through it with a drill uh, and, and render the information uh, that you can't get it back. But, but when you bring it to us, uh, the items you bring it to one of our depots, it's held securely in one of our depots for a very short time, and then it gets sent to our processing plant, which is located here in Manitoba. And what ends up happening is we physically break the item down to recycle it. So all the personal information gets destroyed in that process. We're the uh, recycling people. We're not the reuse people. So we recycle everything we receive so it's safe with us. Dennis, sometimes that recycle word uh, gets people's suspicions up because we know over the years that there have been items that have been supposedly collected for recycling and either end up in the landfill or as uh, infamously uh, we know on a container ship and end up in the Philippines or other countries around the world. Can you help us understand, you mentioned there's a facility here in Manitoba, just maybe walk us through uh, where, you know, the, the more common uh, components of these electronics end up and how they genuinely do get recycled or, or, or not. Yeah, so basically um, the plant that we have that's located in Eli works to our standards. And, and what they end up doing is there's two sides of it. When, you, when they get an item, if it's an item like an old TV set, the old tube style, uh, that has uh, leaded glass in it. So we're going to take the leaded glass out, process that properly. There's even the newer flat screens have microwave, or sorry, uh, have mercury gases in it. Again, we re recycle and, and process that mercury properly. But then what about the other items that we take out of it? We're going to capture the gold that's in some of the items, but mostly it's the steel, the aluminum, the copper, and we're going to take all those items and put that right back into the manufacturing process. So we allow... We say that there's nothing that goes into the landfill. There is a small item that goes into the landfill. The old uh, wooden TV sets or the speaker boxes, that wood isn't real wood. It's more glue and resin. Uh, so that actually gets chipped up and sent to landfill. But everything else has a home for it and gets recycled properly. So when you talk about uh, the, the pieces and the components that can be recycled, how many items do you get every year just in Manitoba alone dropped off for recycling? So, so we're averaging uh, 
just over 3,000 metric tons a year. That's 7 million pounds Mm. or translated back to over 500 tractor trailer loads full of electronics. So there's lots. We get lots. But the reality is there's still lots more out there. So we've got a lot more work to do. What if people have stuff that they can't get recycled? Like, like Greg, you had a 57-inch, like one of those monster flat-screen TVs that, you know, flat on the front, but uh, <laughs> a big caboose probably weighed what, yes. 400 pounds. Yeah, yeah, probably close to it. So what do you do? What if, what if you've got something like that that you want to get rid of, that you want to recycle, but you have no way to get it out? So we have some of our partner uh, locations that do offer a service. Uh, our services uh, drop off to depot, but a couple of our folks, uh, our depots, do offer a service where they do a pickup. There is a charge for the pickup only, not for the recycling. So you can make arrangements with us, and we can kind of help and direct you to the right locations to get a pickup. But, yeah, we can accept that item, and we're going to recycle those. We see those each and every day, those big uh, rear projection units. Dennis, this is a very insightful and just the overall, I've commented uh, many times on the air and off the air, just how efficient uh, the, the, the recycling depots are overall. And the fact that they're open, uh, some of them are open seven days a week. The one on Panet is closed on Wednesdays. But just that ability to know that it's going to be there when you need it. Has that changed dramatically the uptake on this? And, and what role does that play just having that facility that is so convenient it's clean you've got courteous staff talk about that part of it yeah you know we we talk about uh uh sending your things like a lot of places that we partner with we have 95 locations across the province and a lot of them uh out of town or with municipalities and in town with the city of winnipeg and we tell people to go, you know, drop it off at the landfill. Or, and, and people think, oh, boy, I'm going to have to drive into the landfill, get a flat tire, driving over old shingles and things like that. It doesn't happen anymore. The, the recycling depots are set up to receive the items really easy. The folks that are there are really helpful, know their business, and, and they help you get it out. And you don't have to worry about getting that flat tire when you're heading to the dump because that's not the way it is anymore. And it's made it easier. So people are really, you know, picking up on it and, and really, you know, liking the system that we've got for them. And the website is recyclemyelectronics.ca? Absolutely. And you'll be met with a postal code locator. Pop in your postal code. It's going to give you the five closest locations to where you are in their hours of operation. So it makes it really easy. Dennis Newfeld, Executive Director of Manitoba's Electronic Products Recycling Association. Before you go, Loren, did you have one more question? I just wanted to say to Dennis that I think the three of us need to make a vow right now that we're going to work to get rid of some of our electronics the right way today. Because, Absolutely. Dennis, I don't know if you heard, but we all have far too many. We already know that. Everybody has it. <laughs> uh, it's no shame. But now you know what to do, so please visit one of our depots and, and empty out that drawer of shame. And you, do you take cords, too? Like, I've got a 50-foot Ethernet cable that I used in my old apartment that I no longer need. We could probably do something with that cord for you, too. Okay. All right, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. Yeah, I had because I had that cord uh, hardwired into my blu-ray player but my modem the way i had my room set up the internet and cable connection were on one side where i initially had everything and then i 
decided, no, I don't like this room setup. <laughs> so I'm going to move, flip it all around. I'm going to flip it. And uh, I needed a, like a, a, a longer cable. So, uh, well, for, to, to work from home and because the internet where I am is so sketchy, I do not rely on the Wi-Fi. I'm hardwired with a, two Ethernet key, cables for my Commander G3, which you hear me on, and of course the laptop. For a year, over a year now, I've had this 50-foot Ethernet cable cord just strung across the basement floor. And uh, dare I say, not one person has tripped on it. Oh, that's great. And Moose hasn't chewed it up it. yet. He's not allowed down here. But uh, he does make his way down here, as you know, sometimes. So if he had more alone time down here, that, that cord would be a goner because he already ate the remote. If you have old remotes you want to get rid of, Moose will just eat them. Did the dogs in your house ever? I always found that cats were worse with cords yes. and dogs were worse with like yes. stuff. Everything else. Yes, <laughs> yes. Wood. I repainted, I, I upcycled uh, uh, an old book case yesterday i sanded it down and it's by no means a precious family heirloom or anything but it was made the cabinets real wood i think i got it at superstore 15 years ago for a hundred bucks but the frame is real wood so i sanded it down and painted it but the only damage on it were teeth marks from when abby was about (laughs) nine months old and was teething and I thought, yeah, I'll just gnaw on the leg of this bookcase. Like <laughs> the, the decisions our animals make are truly bizarre. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.